reading from 1 Corinthians 7. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. For each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Thank you, Laura. Good morning. I love hearing from the students about Urbana and how God is revealing his will to them. Reminds me of being a young believer, came to Christ at age 17 and asking God, God, what is your will for me? What, what do you want me to do? What, what school do you want me to go to? What relationships do you want me to have? What career do you want me to go into? If I want to follow you, do I really need to become a missionary in Africa? Lord, what's your will for me? You say, I really wanted to be in God's will. And if we're believers, we constantly struggle with that, don't we? I mean, no matter how old we are, we have opportunity in our lives to seek God's will and wonder what he's calling us to. At each stage of life, whether we're young or student, if we're single, if we get married, if we get a new job, a career, if we start having kids, if we change careers, if we retire, no matter where you are, you have opportunity to seek God and say, God, what is your will for me? And along the way, we, we pick up these ideas about what being a good Christian is, right? <laughs> we think, well, maybe a, if, if you're really committed to God, you'll be in full-time ministry for sure. And you might be a pastor or you might be a missionary, but you'll be in full-time ministry. And, or maybe if you really love God, you'll sell what you have and give it away or maybe move to the inner city where you can really have an impact for Christ, etc., etc. We get all these ideas about what being a good Christian is, what God's will must be for me. But most of us, what ends up happening is we can't do those certain things. It doesn't work out for us. And so we end up feeling like, well, I guess I'll always be a second-class Christian because that's not me. I can't do all that. I can't be a Rod or a Jackson or a David Roper or a Valerie or Nancy or a missionary or a Billy Graham or 
fill in the blank. So I guess I don't really matter very much in God's kingdom. We end up feeling guilty, feeling inadequate, feeling unvalued in the kingdom of God, many of us. And so we just try to get by, not really focused on where we go from here, just trying to survive, basically, and try not to sin too much, <laughs> and just wait till God sends Jesus back again. Well, see, that same struggle was happening in the church in Corinth. We're continuing our study in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 7 now, beginning in verse 17. And it, it seems that people in the church in Corinth were having this struggle of, uh, you know, what I do really doesn't matter. Or if I'm really going to serve God, I need to do something else. And I think many were feeling like I'm not gifted like Paul, so I can't really serve God. So that's what Paul addresses in our passage today. He addresses what it means to really live for God's will and I think for some of us, his perspective will surprise us. What he says is, and I'll just give you the main point right now, is what the title says. Bloom where you are planted. <laughs> you see, God's will is not so much where you are, but it's who you are in the place God has put you. God's will is not so much where you are, but it's who you are in the place that God has put you. Pray with me. Lord, as we look in this passage together, as your people, as your children, we, we, we long to hear from you because we want to do your will. So you reveal your will to us this morning. And may we, by the power of your Spirit, walk in the way that you've called us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this fairly long section, verse 17 to 40, begins with verse 17, which really is the summarizing principle for the whole section. He says this, only let each person lead the life, and literally that's walk. Let each person walk in the way that the Lord has assigned to him or her, and to which God has called him or her. This is my rule in all the churches. Several words there I want to highlight. First one is the word assigned. God has assigned each of us a place in the world. The word there is used, the word assigned, really means to divide up. It's the same word that's used of Jesus when he was feeding the 5,000 and they were brought to him a few fish and bread and he took it and he took the meager little offering there and he divided it up and multiplied it for the kingdom of God and fed thousands of people. It was an incredible miracle. And Paul picks up that same word here and he says, what God did is he took you and created you exactly the way he wanted you. He gave you certain gifts, certain talents, certain abilities. He knew your faults, your struggles, your addictions, <laughs> and he assigned you exactly as you are to a certain place in a certain time in history to be part of 
his story to be part of the kingdom of God, where you could be most useful to the kingdom of God. God took all that you are into account and said, ah, he, she needs to be here at this time and in this place. He chose you for this place and time and placed you in the family you're in, in the place you are, the job you're in for his greatest purposes. In other words, to follow that analogy of feeding the 5,000, he, he took who you are, who I am, with our meager resources, and he divided those up, placed us each where he wants us, and then he multiplies what we are by living his life through us to have an impact for the kingdom of God that we might become bread for the world, that the world might feed off of us. I admit that I struggle sometimes. I've thought, Lord, why did you put me at this time in history in this place, in this country? You know, America is a very wealthy, maybe the most wealthy culture, the Western culture of any time in history. And we have all these benefits and all the things we have. And I've struggled with that. I've said, God, why didn't you put me in a place where I suffer like so many Christians have? Life is pretty easy for us. Why have you put us where faith actually is hard and idolatry is so subtle? But I appreciate words of those like Rick McKinley, pastor of Imago Day in Portland, who was talking with several international believers and he said this, I was struck by our global friend's compassion toward the Western church. In many ways, they feel sorry for us. They see our arrogance toward the rest of the world, our addiction to pleasure and comfort, our culture of sensuality and excess, which make it hard for us to fathom many of Christ's teachings. They see these not as evidence of superiority, but of disadvantage and poverty. They mourn our deep losses and have told us they pray for us about these very things. Celestine from Rwanda said, we see what you're up against. When you have medicine for the dandruff in your hair and for the fungus in your fingernails, it's hard to believe that you need God on a daily basis. That is a difficult thing to be up against. And when I read that, I think, yeah, that's true. God put us in a place and a time right here in America because it's hard. It's hard to live for God. It's hard to trust Him and to know we really need Him because the world sees our poverty of our faith. But what this passage is reminding us is God assigned us, you and I, to this place at this time because this is where He wanted us to live out our faith and learn to walk with Him. Another word that's used in this first verse is that God called us. He assigned us and then he called us. God, God put us exactly where he wants us. And then he calls us to be his in the midst of that. Notice he doesn't call us out of the place he's assigned us. But he calls us to himself right where we are. <laughs> Just as clearly as Jesus called Peter and John. And said, come follow me. God has called you 
right where you are to follow him right in the place he has assigned you to bloom where you are planted. Everyone in this room has a calling from God. But again, you're not called out of your life, but you are called to live for Jesus within your current life. My daughter, Jackie, had a temporary job with the Boise Rescue Mission for the last three months, and she did a simple job there. And at the end of that time, they said, we really like your work. We want you to have a full-time job, but we want to expand your opportunities. We want to give you more responsibilities. And in a sense, that's what God did. He met us right where we are, and then he said, when he called us, he said, I want you to live for the kingdom of God right where you are. I'm not going to remove you from where you are. I want you to live for me right where you are. Same locale, but a whole new calling. Then he says, okay, let each person walk in that place. (laughs) What Jesus wants for us, what his will is, is that we might learn to walk with him in our jobs where we are, in the families where we are, in the relationships where we are, in your marriage, in your singleness, in your neighborhood, to learn to walk with Jesus in this place where he's put us. You see, Jesus wants to be intimately involved in everything you do. And he says, this is what I teach in all the churches. God puts people, divides them up, and places them all over the world, wherever they are. And he's put you in a unique place at a unique time because he wants each of us to be living out our calling, walking with him right where we are. That's his plan for impacting the world. So he says, essentially, bloom where you are planted. Bloom where you are planted. Imagine a flower that the gardener plants in the, in the corner just right because he wants that bloom to stand out right where it is. And the flower thinks, I don't like where I'm planted. <laughs> I'd much rather be up there where the, you know, in the, where the other flowers are or under a tree where I'm kind of protected from the weather or I'd rather be here or there. And, and it's in its discontent. It never creates the beauty right where the gardener planted it. So he says, bloom where you're planted, right where you are. So that's the big message. That's the principle And then he mentions three areas of our lives, three spheres of our lives in the rest of the passage where he wants us to live out that principle, to learn to bloom where we're planted. First is in our cultural context, in our basic circumstances. He goes on to say, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. You see, the Corinthians were coming to Christ. They were excited. They thought, wow, what's God's will now? Well, do I need to become a Jew if I'm a Gentile? Maybe I need to do that. Maybe I need to be circumcised and follow that. Or some of the Jews were thinking, well, if I don't need to be a Jew anymore, maybe I should even reverse my circumcision. That really happened, folks. One commentator writes, expositor's commentary says this, apparently there was a medical procedure available in the first century to disguise the obvious marks of circumcision. 
Jewish young men who did not want to stand out in secular society as different or be mocked if they wanted to participate, for example, in athletic games or which were conducted in the nude or take part in public baths would sometimes undergo this procedure. I really don't want to know any more about it than that. <laughs> but, but notice, notice what was behind that. Young men were coming to Christ and they were saying, I want to follow God. I'm willing to do anything. I'll undergo surgery. I'll do whatever. Lord, what are you calling me to do? Do I need to change my whole cultural context? Become a Jew? Become a Gentile? What do I need to do to follow you? Kenneth Bailey, a commentator, describes it this way. Paul is talking about the calling or assignment of God and telling the entire church that there was no special cultural identity required for discipleship in the kingdom of God. The Jew doesn't have to become a pig-eating Gentile. The Gentile does not have to be circumcised and join the Jewish Christian branch of the church. There is no sacred culture and no sacred language. Paul is writing in Greek and not in Hebrew. He tells his readers that regardless of their ethnic origins, there is an assignment, a calling from the Lord tailored to who they are that does not require them becoming someone else. Isn't that beautiful that God called you just as you are and he's not requiring you to become someone else. He wants you to learn to live for him right where you are. So do you live in a difficult circumstance? Whatever he's saying, don't flee from that. Don't change it just because you think that would be more godly. Do you need to sell your house and move into the inner city or follow some religious rules? He says, no, don't change all that. Instead, learn to remain where you are and live out God's will where you are. That's what he says in verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he or she was called. What is, he, what is God's will? Remain. <laughs> Settle in. Bloom where you were planted. Don't feel pressured to change anything that is in itself morally neutral. Now, obviously, if you have sin in your life, you need to strive to give that to the Lord and learn to turn that over to Him. But anything that's morally neutral, don't be in a hurry to change it. God may want you to change some things circumstantially, but He can make that really clear if you are learning to walk with Him and trust Him right where you are. See, here's God's will, verse 19. Neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. You want to know God's will where you are? Learn to develop an obedient heart. In all the little things of life, Lord, I want to obey you. You see, when we have an obedient heart, and we're walking with him in obedience in the little things he lays on our hearts, then it's easy for him to get us where he wants us to be in the big things. But he says, develop an obedient heart. That is God's will. I had a roommate before Jeannie and I got married that was always looking to change his circumstances because he always felt that somehow he was missing God's will. So about every six weeks, he would change the whole direction of his life. You can imagine, it drove us all crazy because he would start school and he would go about six weeks and then he would quit 
because he would start feeling anxious and maybe I'm outside God's will. It's not working out like I thought. And then he would start a job and he'd work that for a while and then he'd quit. And then he'd get a different job and work at that for a while. And literally within, oh, the year and a half or so I worked, lived with him, he probably changed the whole direction of his life at least 10 times. Imagine if Joseph in the Old Testament who had so many ups and downs and so many difficult things, took those as, well, I must be outside God's will, and he, and he fought against where he was when he was almost put to get death by his brothers and sold into slavery and ended up in prison and all these things and was in Potiphar's house, etc., all these different circumstances. But what did Joseph do? He learned to serve God no matter where he was. When he was in leadership in the country of Egypt, or when he was in prison, he said, wherever I am, I will serve God. And God was able to use him in powerful ways. See, I think we worry way too much about our circumstances. In fact, I like the way Jerry Sitzer in his book, A Grace Revealed, I commend this book to you. It's an excellent little book. He says this, It is this experience of God's redeeming work in my own life that leads me to believe, now more than ever, that circumstances play a limited role in the Christian life, providing little more than the context, the scene, and the setting of the story for God's redemptive work. God uses adversity as well as prosperity to shape our lives, forming character in us, calling us to fruitful service, enabling us to love and to trust Him. When we worry about God's will, we're worried about often circumstances and am I doing the right thing? And, and what Paul's saying is don't worry about all that. Bloom where you're planted. Learn to walk with me right where you are. There is no sacred space. Everywhere is holy if you are there with God in you. Think about your prayers for a minute. It's okay to pray for God, change circumstances, but, but I think our prayers reveal a lot about what our concerns are. And do we pray mostly for God to change circumstances or do we pray mostly for God to change us in the circumstances? That we might be godly, that we might trust him in the midst of whatever place he has assigned us. See, I think that's what he would have us pray for and focus on. The second sphere, that's, that's our cultural context, our circumstances, but the second area or sphere that he wants us to live out this principle, bloom where you're planted, is in our jobs. He goes on, and Laura read this to you, to talk about slavery. Were you a bondservant when you were called? Verse 21. Don't be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. But he goes on to say, It doesn't matter so much whether you're a slave or not. What matters is that you are God's servant right where you are. Now, when you read this, we think, oh, slavery, that's awful, because we have in our minds American slavery, which was cruel and horrible, terribly oppressive. But slavery in the Roman Empire was typically not that way. It was sometimes. But typically it was much more like our jobs here, because actually you got paid typically as a slave. You could save up your money. You could buy your own freedom. There was a lot of opportunity there. And so I think the parallel for us is our job situation. And he says, in 
your job, whatever you are, wherever you are, learn to serve him in the job that you have. Many of us are in difficult jobs with tough bosses, or maybe you're a homemaker who longs to serve God more effectively. You know, I could really serve God if I didn't have to wash all these diapers or change these diapers or do all this laundry or I could really serve God if I didn't have this boss or I could really serve God if I, if I didn't have to work so hard so many hours at my job and etc. And Paul is addressing that and he says what God really wants is to realize you are in full-time Christian work no matter where you are. Every believer is in full-time Christian work because Jesus wants us to bring Christ into every situation in which we are. That's what he wants us to do, is learn to serve him right where we are, to be his bondservant, his slave, right where we are. And if God wants to move you, he will. Before I came to Cole 19 and a half years ago, I pastored at a church in Lake Tahoe in the Nevada side where there's a lot of casinos. And when I first came to the church that I came to, there was a casino owner teaching Sunday school in our church. There was a 21 dealer teaching Sunday school. And there were a number of people who got their living from the casinos. Now, I admit when I came, I thought, how in the world can you do that? How can you serve God there? I was pretty judgmental. I had some bad attitudes. But I grew to appreciate those people because they were really seeking to serve God right where they were. Now, eventually God did move them out of that world, out of that casino world, but that was God's plan in his way, in his timing. But what I really learned from them was that God wants us, in the context we are, to learn to serve him fully right where we are. The third area or sphere that Paul addresses in the rest of the chapter is in our relationships. Let me read part of this, starting in verse 25. He says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you from that. Again, the situation in Corinth is that people were coming to Christ, and they were thinking, how do I serve God the best in my relationships? What is he really calling me to? Should I get married or not? If I get married, I can't be quite as purely devoted to the Lord as my spouse? What's God's will for me? Or if I'm already married, it sounds like they were questioning, maybe I shouldn't be married so I can serve God more. I think there was a lot of zeal for God, but not a lot of wisdom. There was a lot of confusion. And so Paul addresses that. I will say when I was in my early 20s, I was an intern at seminary and I was struggling with this very passage because I was falling in love with this wonderful young woman, Jeannie. And yet I read this passage and it sounds to me as you go on and read this that Paul is saying, 
hey, it's really better. You'll be far freer from anxieties and from divided interests if you stay single. So don't get married. And so I was struggling with that. God, are you calling me to get married or do you want me to stay single? And I had the opportunity to travel with Ray Stedman on a trip. And Ray Stedman, the pastor, talked to me about this. And I brought up this passage and I said, I really want to serve God. But I'm falling in love with this woman. What do I do? (laughs) And he said, you need to understand Paul's perspective here. What he's really teaching is he's teaching... Don't try to change your circumstances thinking a changed circumstance is more godly than being right where you are. But he says if you read Paul throughout the scripture and read what he says in Ephesians about marriage and Colossians, etc., you'll see the norm Paul is teaching is for most people, unless they have the gift of singleness, to get married. And he explained it to me and it, it finally made sense that I didn't need to avoid marriage to follow God I could serve God even in marriage. Two months later, we were engaged. (laughs) I heard from the Lord. (laughs) So Paul goes on to say, time is short. We don't have a lot of time on earth. So bloom where you're planted. Learn to serve God where you are. Verse 29, he says this, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, those who mourn as though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they had no goods, those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. Now, he's not saying don't love your wife or your husband if you're married. I think what he's saying is this. Time is short. Eternity is knocking at the door. So live for eternity where you are. Don't live for this world. Our primary goal should not be to get married. Our primary goal should not be to be consumed with experiencing the world, to mourn or to rejoice, to experience things. Our primary goal should not be to gain worldly possessions, he says in those verses. Our primary goal should not be to be consumed with worldly pleasures. No, our primary goal should be to please God and be fully devoted to Him. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. Verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided Devotion to the Lord. You want to know God's will (laughs) in your relationships? Be devoted to Him wherever you are, in, in whatever situation relationally you are in, no matter how difficult or dysfunctional. Learn to be devoted fully to Him. And then he ends this chapter with this encouragement it's okay to get married as long as you marry a believer. Don't marry an unbeliever or you'll be in trouble. He says that in verse 39, essentially. It's okay not to get married too, but most important is, are you learning to love and serve God right where you are? Are you learning to bloom where you're planted? So what is God's will for you and for me? Well, it's not primarily changing your circumstances, going to Africa, going into full-time ministry, any of that kind of stuff. 
changing your jobs, changing your relationships. It is learning to, in the very place God has assigned you, to obey Him right where you are, to serve Him as Lord, to learn to be fully devoted to Him where you are. You see, God calls us not to step out of our life's story with all its messiness, but rather He calls us to live out the life of Christ right in the midst of the mess where He has placed us. If He wants you to move, He'll let you know. He can get you. That's the easy part. But if we're getting our priorities right and we're learning to bloom where He has planted us, He can accomplish His purposes and expand the kingdom of God. I want to close with a quote. Elizabeth Elliot described briefly her first widowhood. Her husband was slain along with four companions in the jungles of Ecuador by members of the Aka tribe. She spent 13 years as a widow, and then she married a gracious and wonderful man with whom she was very happy for just a few more years. Then he died, taken by cancer. She said... I have spent six-sevenths of my life single, though I have been married twice. I did not choose the gift of widowhood, but I accepted it as the sphere in which I am to live to the glory of God. You see, I think that's blooming where you're planted. Learning to say, Lord, I didn't choose this particular circumstance, this particular situation but I will accept it as the sphere in which you have called me to live for the glory of God. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, that you made us, each person in this room, just as you wanted us. And you assigned us to the very place where we could be most effective for your kingdom in the situation, circumstances you wanted us to be in. Lord, I pray for every one of us here that we would catch a vision for how we might live for you, develop an obedient heart, and be fully devoted to you right where we are, that we might fully bloom where you planted us, that the beauty of your life might show through. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.